0: In 1997, Apple was nearing insolvency and their share price was below 20 cents. It's crazy to think about now. Their valuation is over $2 trillion, but at this time, their share prices were below 20 cents. They needed a huge rescue. Not just any kind of rescue, a Steve Jobs rescue. Apple Keynote Chronicles is made possible thanks to our awesome friends at Linode. You can simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. To keep it simple, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Hey guys, how are you all doing? If you're new here, welcome. My name is Crazy Ken and welcome back to Apple Keynote Chronicles, our new podcast. Our mission here is to chronicle every Steve Jobs Apple keynote and some extra things along the way. Sometimes we call them Steve Notes, you know, just because we like portmanteaus, we like combining words together. But we're not just talking about the physical events that take place on stage. We're also going to dive into the backstories, the products, and our own personal experiences, too. And today, as always, I'm joined by my helpless test subject I've dragged into this project, Brad. Hi, Brad.
1: (laughs) Hi, Ken. Um... You know what? I might have been helplessly dragged into it, but happy to be here. Yeah. So we left off in the last episode
0: with Steve Jobs introducing the original Macintosh. Macs are pretty much everywhere. You see them all over the place. It's kind of hard to think there used to be a time where They weren't around. There was a first version. There was sale number one, and that was this. He revealed it at the Flint Center, January 24th, 1984, officially, publicly, the first Mac. But it kind of had a rocky start, and Steve, soon after, left Apple. And he founded his, what some people like to call his revenge company, Next. And he took some people from Apple, founded this company Next. So Apple was still going, you know, they were still releasing stuff, the PowerBook, the Newton, but at the same time, Steve Jobs was working on this next hardware and more importantly, this next software. And eventually, Apple needs help. So they acquire Next and Steve Jobs, they bring him back for over $400 million. So just a quick little catch up of what's going on. This is the Macworld San Francisco 1997 presentation. It's at this big Marriott ballroom. There's probably a couple thousand people in there. I actually can't find the whole recording anywhere, but this is the part where you see Steve. The whole thing was actually incredibly long. I heard the whole thing was like two and a half hours long. What we're seeing is like the last 47 minutes, the first like two hours, I don't know where that is, I could not find it anywhere. Every little news piece I read about it, every biography I read about it, talks about how like painfully long this presentation was. It wasn't just Steve Jobs, like Gil Emilio, Apple's CEO at the time just droned on and on and
1: on. <laughs> yeah, there's head. definitely some droning. No. <laughs> there's, there's not just drone. This uh, this is a very interesting watch uh, oh, from fashion choices <laughs> to uh, it, it just awkward. There are definitely moments of cringe in this massive cringe, that, to use that, a. Uh, that you Gen would say, just uh, is something that uh, is not found. I mean, the cringes like, that you see in an Apple uh, event now is maybe like down ad jokey, but this is cringe and just like, oh Oh, my, we'll get into it, Totally, it is there.
0: And again, I put the links to these events in the show notes. I encourage you to watch them later because I want you to listen to me right now. (laughs) But yeah, uh, you can go ahead and click on those after the podcast, but yeah, we're in this ballroom. Gil Melio, again, Apple CEO at the time, he was not rehearsed at all. Like he had some sort of issue with his speech writer. He was on vacation while the speech was being worked on. There's some crazy, stupid backstory here. Ultimately, he was not rehearsed, and you see that, because he drones. He verbal pauses out the wazoo. If someone wants to make a super cut of him saying, uh, 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 it would be amazing. He's like leaning on the podium. Um, There's a lot of leaning going on. Gil is,
1: I- He's a leaner. (laughs) I gotta say, I didn't know anything about Gil before watching this. Mm. At the end of the day, I don't dislike Gil. Oh, sure. I I kind of like some of the, uh, but it is, there's some awkward uh, posturing. Yeah, I think Steve actually like called him a
0: bozo, and he kind of is bumbling at times. But like, he, he was still the CEO. Like, he still made important
1: decisions, so he, he wasn't a bad person. There were elements of his uh, intro doing some example where he's before he brings Steve out, where he's talking about how they got to where they are, and he's uh, basically doing a visual of a phrase we both love of what is it uh, building, building the, the airplane, airplane while, uh, while, while while flying it.
0: It never ends up good for the passengers, people.
1: <laughs> yeah, but but I did think that the way that he presented that, even of like showing the goofy comic drawings of it, was yep. actually very Apple. Oh yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. This would be helpful to me and maybe any of the uh, listeners who don't quite know. Could you tell me what the perception of Apple was going into this before they acquired Next? What happened with the company from the time Steve Jobs left to where they got to, how did people look at Apple? So
0: there were a lot of jokes going around too. Like I remember there was one like particular news article that showed like an Apple logo and it said, pray across it, like pray for them. I think it even had like a crown of thorns on it. Like Jesus is a crucifixion or something. I don't remember the artwork, but they were not being perceived as like a really strong brand anymore. Now there were those people that were still faithful. And I would say one of the most popular evangelists, you know, to say good things about Apple. One of the most popular evangelists was Guy Kawasaki. He was in charge of quote unquote, saying the good news about Apple, about the good things that are going on. But there were a lot of people that were just saying like, oh, Apple's gonna die, Apple's not making any money. And in real life, they were losing a lot of money. Like again, their share price was under 20 cents. They were close to insolvency, probably about, I don't know, a fiscal quarter away from insolvency. And something that Steve talks about, I think in the third episode we're gonna discuss is PR. You know, PR with Apple wasn't super good either not like they were doing anything scandalous, it's just, they were focusing so much on all
1: the wrong things. So what what would it have been, what did an Apple computer in 1994, 95, what was that? Was it expensive and underpowered or, you know, where did it sit in the landscape of why were they doing so poorly?
0: That's a really good question. So I think it has to do with what Steve Jobs talks about later in the presentation is how competition caught up, like Windows caught up. You know, we were talking about how Windows didn't even exist in the last episode in 1984. Well, it caught up and it got better because they knew how to innovate and Apple was kind of focusing on all the wrong things, you know, not everything wrong, but they weren't innovating as much as they used to and other competitive options were out there that people could buy into and Windows grew like crazy. And that's why the main focus of this keynote is, well, yeah, there's a lot of philosophical and principle things that have to be done like about Apple's mission and stuff like that. But from a technical perspective, the focus was we need a new operating system, guys. What we're talking about right now is the genesis of the modern Mac OS, which was the genesis of every modern Mac that ran after that, every Intel Mac, which was the genesis of the iPhone, the iPad, the modern Apple TV, all that software was built on that software, which was built on what we're talking about today. So it was a huge move. On a technical level, their software was falling behind and they needed a new operating system to compete. And they have
1: clunky graphs to show how they're going to build it. They have
0: (laughs) awesome squares. Lots of squares, guys. All right. So, or boxes. They call them boxes, actually. So back to the Gil Emilio thing. Yeah, he was not well rehearsed. Uh, According to the Isaacson biography, there was a lot of chaos backstage. Steve was upset at the chaos going on backstage.
1: It was not good. I I was going to make a comment about that, but Uh, Having not known that backstory, Gil seemed pretty cool and composed. Maybe that was part of it. He seemed fine for the first part. But by the time Steve Jobs came back, uh, after he came back after Steve Jobs' first appearance, there was definite change in tone.
0: I was going to talk about this later, but I kind of want to talk about it now. I don't know if this relates to his unpreparedness, but Muhammad Ali was there. And I read that he was there because he was supposed to go on stage he was never invited on stage like did they just not rehearse it or what like you bring like one of the most famous people in the world there you, 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 just, you just have
1: him sit there <laughs> well that was a very i honestly I, I, so I, I need when i'm talking about cringe that was a weird cringy moment oh, where they so go they're, in they're they're going Sorry. off a gil is like um calling out all the celebrities in the audience and having them stand up and the crowd applaud. I mean, it felt like a a corporate work event. It was very weird. Like you would never see that like... I mean I guess maybe they did it later in Apple keynote in history but sometimes like in the iPhone Steve
0: did do like the team worked really hard on the stand up guys you know and they Well that's that, the team it's weird to be just right, calling out one celebrities at a time, yeah really weird but anyway we'll cover more of that awkwardness real soon if you love awkwardness you're going to mm. soak this episode up so again the big focus of this was they need to modernize the macOS Apple needs a new operating system and Apple was looking at options they looked at B, and I really need to research B some more. I've only used a B box a little bit when I was at the Vintage Computer Festival Midwest 14 in um, 2019, so they were looking at B, but ultimately they ended up looking at Steve Jobs' Next company, so they acquired him and the software for $400 million. Now, Next made hardware too. That was their first focus. They were Next computer, you know, they made the Next Cube and all this stuff, but then they ended up being a software company, which ultimately was more important at you know this particular time because Apple really needed some software. <laughs> (laughs) So the airplane thing, talking about the Mac OS, again, came out in 1984. It's now 1997 and not being modernized enough. Guild says it's like a Cessna plane. We're just adding all this stuff on top of it. Then we switched from the 68K Motorola processors to PowerPC. So he was like, now we moved to the PowerPC, which was like a jet engine. So now you have like parts of a Cessna plane with like big jet engines on them. And he has this very comical illustration like you mentioned earlier. And overall, microprocessors in 1997 were about 200 times faster than they were in 1984. So what does that mean? Apps need more memory. They wanna do things with clients and servers. Multimedia, the internet was growing and the Mac OS was like not really built for that stuff. So they were just tacking it all on top.
1: Well, they Steve, especially, I think in this one, and also definitely when we get to the next episode, I mean, he's talking about connectivity being like a huge factor in the OS and that it wasn't built for that.
0: Yeah, Jobs talks a lot about networking. And when I first saw these keynotes, like years ago, I didn't really get it. But now that I use computers more, especially with the cloud nowadays, it's like, oh gosh, without the internet and stuff, like what would we even be doing? (laughs) It'd be so hard. So he says the mission has changed. And again, this is before Steve comes up on stage. This is still Gil Emilio talking. He's like, we need a modern core OS with protected memory. It needs to be multiprocessor ready. It needs to have preemptive multitasking, all of this stuff to make the foundation stronger. So at the time, the system was system seven, that's version seven of the Mac OS. And it was kind of stagnating, but the problem was you can't just rewrite the whole operating system because then what happens to all the developers? Like all that investment is just poof, gone. So they can't rewrite it, but they need to modernize it somehow. So what they plan to do is they wanna combine the Mac OS with modern APIs, both of them are going to share a modern core OS. So you have a new foundation, but you still have the macOS compatibility for all of that investing and developing that's already been done. But then you have the new stuff on there for the future applications. And you were talking about the squares earlier. They called that the blue box. That was the macOS compatibility box. They had like this chart to map it all out. The blue box was the macOS compatibility and the new stuff was yellow. So they literally called it the yellow box. (laughs) And then they wanted to throw Java on there as well. So that was, kind of their plan. But Dillamelio was like, okay, we have this blue box, Mac OS, we have this new modern core OS. What's this yellow box? What's this new thing gonna be? Do we make our own modern APIs for the next generation of apps? Do we license? Do we acquire? Hmm. So that's when they acquire (laughs) OpenStep, which was the operating system from Next. And he said that was the clear winner. You get stability, performance, rapid development,
1: but also this guy, Steve Jobs. (laughs) Well, that was gonna be my big question for you is, Mm -hmm. um, because if if I'm correct, when they introduced the next cube, it didn't actually have an operating system or anything. (laughs) Like it was just like a really fancy design box that didn't do anything. We
0: talk about building the plane while you're flying. Like, you know, I watched the Theranos documentary recently and they talked about fake it till you make it, the Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley way. That is pretty much what they were doing when Jobs demoed the next cube. Which we will cover in a future episode that keynote
1: specifically it really didn't have an operating system it had demo software on it okay so that's where I was because that's what i knew of next i really Mm -hmm. didn't follow next and so that was my question when we came into this is i thought maybe the next this was acquiring steve jobs not really necessarily acquiring next but maybe next had gotten their stuff together at that point
0: so steve jobs was the big thing but yes next did actually have an operating system later, they did. And when they stopped focusing on hardware as much, they didn't call it next step anymore. They called it open step. They called it that because, well, they probably had multiple reasons, but it ran on more than just next hardware. It even ran on Intel boxes. Mm. So they were focusing on software. Yeah, they got their stuff together.
1: (laughs) So in that case, do you think that they were truly acquiring Next so was it a was it a bonus that they were looking at of having Steve Jobs? I mean, they did kick him out. Was there worries about bringing him on board at that point?
0: I'm sure there was tension. And in a future episode, we'll talk about the board restructuring and all that stuff. But yeah, like Jobs got rid of a lot of people. And I'm sure, I wasn't in his head at the time, but I'm sure Gil, hopefully he knew that if he brings Jobs back, Jobs is gonna be like, okay, we need to restructure stuff. Cause a lot of people were given golden parachutes and let go, but that's later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, so they acquire Steve Jobs, they get open step technology. And this is the foundation. This is like the genesis of like pull out your iPhone right now and use it. The technology on there dates back to this. Even when you're coding an app, if you call up an NS object or whatever, I'm not a programmer, but the NS in that code stands for next step. That's where that comes from. We still use it today in the Apple developer environment with Xcode and everything. So Steve is now back on an Apple stage again, but no turtleneck yet. Do you remember the part? I love this part so much. Steve comes on stage and people are cheering like crazy and people are taking photos of him and like the camera cuts,
1: And then, like, suddenly Gil Emilio is standing next to him again. Oh, I, I literally have a note. I'm not going to... I have a note right here. It says... Very awkward that the entire time you see Gil is just still standing there once in a while.
0: He wanted to be in the photos, but Jobs was like, eh, and he walks away. And then he kind of walks back. So I love this so much. It's like a superhero movie or something, man. Like he comes back and like, especially compared to like Gil's bumbling performance, Steve is like, boom, he is just clear and concise. Like he owns the stage. So... First thing, he establishes the mission. We need to provide relevant, compelling solutions that customers can only get from Apple. Apple can bring the platform, the system integration and the marketing power. But the developers bring the creative insight, the market knowledge and that entrepreneurial energy. You know, you might be a small company, of a startup wanting to make an app and you have that like entrepreneurial spirit there. And Steve mentions, hey, even with the original Macintosh, like it wasn't just us, we had developers. And he mentions Paul Brainer developing PageMaker, which eventually became InDesign. Adobe bought Aldus and PageMaker and all that stuff. But that was one of the early Mac programs that got the Mac into desktop publishing. That was one of the things that made it of user's choice for desktop publishing and graphics and stuff like that. And Jobs talks about why did Paul choose the Mac to develop such a graphical heavy program like PageMaker? There was nothing else he could use. He he used the Mac because he had to. There was nothing else like that. And Steve wants to provide those solutions again. Like you're making a Mac app because you have to now. You're a small three developer team. You don't have a ton of money. You don't want to spend a lot of time making an app. We're going to give you this easy platform now with this modern OS to write an application. Guess what? It's part of Apple now. We have marketing power too, and you can get your app out there. You know, this was pre-App Store days, but. <laughs>
1: yeah the way that he talked about it i thought it was really interesting when he got to the slide where he had the where he started talking about it as a toolbox that he was going to oh yeah the
0: skyscrapers
1: yeah yeah the skyscrapers and those were some good analogies and i kind of saw that um you know even though right here he was talking about i guess software mostly with what next could do Mm -hmm. i was thinking about the ways that you see that now carry through to today i love
0: the part where everyone's taking pictures with the flash on. And Steve was like, you guys got to stop making me
1: blind or else I'm gonna fall off the stage like Bob Dole. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was wondering, uh, I don't remember seeing flash photography at, uh, you know, from keynotes when I started watching. No,
0: yeah, that was,
1: I guess cameras just improved. Like you rarely see it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's from the days of like newspapers and film cameras that needed lots of light, but I would have complained too. It looked, it was annoying. It was annoying just for me watching it, let alone being on stage with the light right in your eye. It's not just bright, they're noisy too. There's a whole lot of clicking and snapping. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So yes, then he transitions into what you were talking about, the the floors of a building metaphor, kind of like how DOS was, you know, disk operating system back in the day was like floor one. And you could maybe build a fourth story app with that technology. And the macOS toolbox was like, hey, you're starting on floor five now. So now suddenly your one plus three, fourth story app becomes a five plus three. Now you're building an eighth story app with the Macintosh toolbox. You can build this cool graphical thing and all that. And then Jobs pokes fun at Microsoft, you know, like, hey, Microsoft copied it. Hey, they went to court. Microsoft won, so uh, 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 whatever. But uh, you have now NT, which stood for new technology plus windows. And that's kind of like on floor seven. So now, you know, they caught up. Microsoft caught up and they kept innovating when Apple wasn't doing the greatest job. And then I love how Jobs is like, well, a mature OS takes a long time to build, you know, they get battle scars. Like it took a long time for Microsoft to do NT and all this stuff. So Steve was like, we're gonna use Mach OS with the mock microkernel. Cause that's what they used in the next step and open step system. And he's like, we have a solid foundation here, but on top of it, we're gonna put this thing called open step. And it's like 20 floors high and the, <laughs> the audience starts to cheer.
1: I love that part. Yeah. So then he's talking about, what does he say? Like you're starting to build from the 28th floor or something. Yeah. It
0: was something like that. Like instead of starting on the seventh floor, like you can now start on the 20th floor. Yeah. Something like that. And that's the whole idea here. And we'll dive into the greater details about how that's achieved. Uh, Also in the third episode, we'll talk about that more because it's kind of a big deal. And again, like as I was researching this, sometimes I thought, wow, we're really making a big deal about an operating system but it's like it's the genesis of over a billion devices like every iphone every mac like it goes back to this every ipad goes back to this
1: it definitely uh you know when he's demoing it i Mm -hmm. mean feels like that had to feel crazy to be doing that much background stuff at the time. He's got like four movie trailers playing and music and moving all these windows around. And
0: the thing is, he's moving those windows around opaquely. It's not like a wireframe thing like what pretty much Mm. every other consumer thing was at the time, you drag the window and you actually see the pixels move with the window, which is like commonplace nowadays, who cares? But like, if you picked up like a Windows 95 machine or whatever and you dragged a window, it just drags up like an
1: outline. I I, I do have to bring up this note uh, too, so I don't forget it because when he was demoing, I don't know if this was a thing, but he was talking about widgets. And I just wrote, Steve has always loved his widgets. I mean, widgets were just... I never really used widgets, but I know they have their fans. My dad (laughs) loves
0: his widgets. Uh, Yep, yep. I know people, especially with like the new iOS widgets and the iPad widgets, people love, well, not really iPad, you can't do it like on iPhone, but yeah, people love them. I never use them, but yeah, he always liked his widgets. I think even before that he would say, you know, if you're gonna make something, you gotta make the whole widget. You know, he would use the word widget, yeah. It's cute. (laughs) That's a word he liked. Yeah, yeah. So then talking about that 20th floor thing, he's saying we want to see more people like the page makers, like the people behind PageMaker, the people behind Director, like we want to see these revolutionary apps come together, but like a huge barrier is like, you need people, you need time, you need money. But what if you can make a really cool app in six to nine months with only two to three people, as opposed to like over a year with like 10 or 12 people? What if you could do it with two to three people in under a year with OpenStep? And that's what he was bringing into Apple. Oh, and another handy thing is one version of the app can support multiple processors, because at this time they were looking to run things on Intel and PowerPC, which, you know, was kind of funny because later the Mac actually went to Intel and now it's on M1, you know, their own silicon. So that was kind of the genesis of that. One app binary universal platform support. And another thing is it's built to network with the network file system that can be used by mere mortals. That was another one of his early catchphrases was mere mortals mm. could use it. I mean. He was about ease of use, absolutely. And I love how he talked about Xerox PARC. Steve went there in 1979. PARC stood for Palo Alto Research Center. And he was so blinded by the graphical user interface stuff that he kind of didn't really pay attention to the other things like object-oriented programming and networking, which is now what's being brought into the Mac. And I, I thought it was funny. He said, man, if only I
1: stayed there for another 20 minutes. That was uh, <laughs> a pretty funny part. Yeah, Just essentially, like he's he's admitting, he was, it was like a dog that got excited. He saw this thing that yeah. he, Excited him so much that he just, and I'm sure we've all had that. I mean, as a creative, sometimes (laughs) you you have where you're just like, I have to go. I mean, you work fast. Like every time I hear you talking about starting a new podcast, you just go. (laughs) So I imagine there's a bit of that going on. He just goes, I have to go get this idea out of my head right now. Mm -hmm. But it's funny how it came back around to, you know, he's the one pushing the most in this and the next one talking about like, hey, we got to move on. We have to have networking. This is the future.
0: Yeah. And like everything we do now is tied to networking somehow. It may not be like IT, typing in IP addresses and stuff, but think about your stuff saving in the cloud. Think about you sending a message to someone over the cloud. Like I'm not saying this was the ultimate genesis of it, but this is when this stuff was really young. But one thing that was a really big genesis is something that everybody uses nowadays. It's the World Wide Web. Basically, the genesis of the World Wide Web is typically credited to Tim Berners-Lee, and he did it at CERN, the first World Wide Web software, and he wrote it on Next Step, which is pretty crazy to think about.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I got a Next Cube sitting in the office right here, even. It's right behind us, just staring at us. It's a big black monolith. Oh, yeah, it's a honker. It's... <laughs> So how the heck were they gonna do this? We're talking about this stuff kind of like it's magic, like what exactly is going to be done to make these apps easier to develop? Well, quite a few things, but the main center focus of it all is having a rich object model based on object oriented programming or OOP as some people call it. And generally speaking, this was the goal here. Apple and Steve Jobs wanted to use object oriented programming to make it easier for developers to make apps compared to typical procedural programming. And as you know, Brad, I'm not a programmer. I just knew it was like better in a lot of cases, but you know, I I did my homework and I actually have a a link in the show notes after the podcast if you guys want to check it out. There's this nice video that kind of sums it up in about seven minutes what object-oriented programming is. So go check that out. He can explain it better Well, than
1: let, me. let me get, I mean, again, going back, watching these things and seeing how they translate now. What a lot of what he was talking about seemed pertinent from when they were first talking about developing apps for iOS and stuff like that. Like basically, you know, iOS has this toolkit of you don't need to program what the scroll wheel is going to look like or mm-hmm. the bars or all this stuff in there. And by just having that be universal across the thing, yeah. you can just focus on making the thing that makes your app special.
0: Yeah. And object oriented programming at the core of that helps make that more possible where you do have something that's kind of, I guess you could say pre-built and it just inherits functionality of an app. Like when I first started practicing developing for the Mac, it was really cool that I didn't need to like program a font panel. I literally just drag in like the font menu and the whole font panel just shows up there. It inherits that. But like the foundation of it is uh, there's like four pillars to object-oriented programming. There's encapsulation, abstraction, inheritance, and polymorphism. And overall these pillars help reduce complexity. And a big thing is they eliminate redundant code because if you see some comparisons of like traditional procedural programming versus object-oriented programming, There's like way fewer lines of code for certain object oriented programming situations. And another big thing is though, it helps you isolate the impact of change in code. And you know, as video editors, you know, we use Final Cut Pro for example, you know, it's built in such a way where magnetically you can change something without knocking stuff out of sync. In a way it's kind of like this, you can change something here and it won't cause catastrophic issues over here because that's one of the, pillars of object-oriented programming. And again, that explainer video is in the show notes. It explains it way better than I do. So along with Next and Steve Jobs, there was another technology Jobs had, you know, all about objects, object model, object-oriented programming. They had something called web objects. He just loved the word objects. It makes sense, I guess. And web objects was website technology. And again, you know, we take so many things for granted now. You use something on a website, you click a button and it's like magic, right? but there's so many things happening behind the scenes. It's like, well, what's driving all that stuff? And at this time, Steve was pushing web objects. It's not really used anymore, but it was a set of technologies that you could use to build website applications, which again, 1997, you know, it's kind of there. It's definitely not what it is
1: like now. Well, he was still pushing that back in iPhone 1, right? Yeah, I mean, web, apps. web apps. That's true.
0: He was pushing that with the first iPhone. But yeah, it, it, it applies today, like web objects and building web applications, because anytime you use a website, you're using, quote unquote, an application of some sort. And I've talked about these guys before, Linode, these awesome guys that help make our podcast possible. And they can provide people the infrastructure to build your own applications. Now, like I said, I'm not a programmer. I do know programmers. And if you need to do things like crunch stuff, crunch data, you need to host data. You can even like host a multimedia streaming video servers. You can host e-learning applications. If you need space on the web to host your project and your app, you can do that stuff with Linode. So with Linode, you can simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with their Linux virtual machines. You don't need to have like all these crazy computers built in your basement or something guys to like (laughs) build your application or your website. Linode has all that stuff for you. All you have to do is use their service so you can develop, deploy, and scale your applications faster and easier. So whether you're developing that personal project or managing a much larger workload, ultimately you deserve something simple, affordable, and accessible with accessible cloud computing solutions. So we're going to offer you something we worked out with our awesome friends at Linode. Just from listening to this podcast, Apple Keynote Chronicles, you can get $100 in free credit. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click that. It's linode.com com slash computer clan, and again, you can get a hundred dollars in free credit for their service. And they have data centers around the world with simple and consistent pricing, regardless of location. So if you want, just hey, choose the data center closest to you. And on top of that, hey, um, when you call tech support, do you like talking to a
1: human or a robot? I seem to enjoy talking to people <laughs> much more than modern robots.
0: Well, well, then you're in luck. They do have 24-7, 365 human support and you can get that support super easily. You don't have to try to understand what a robot is saying. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances or you can use your $100 credit on S3 compatible object storage. Hey, there's that word objects again or managed Kubernetes. There's a whole bunch of things you can do with Linode. Go to their website, their solutions page shows you so many cool things. Again, linode.com slash computer clan. To keep it simple, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash computer clan and click the create free account button to get started. And when you do that, not only do you get your $100 in credit, but you're also supporting the podcast. So. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Linode, for making this show possible. So yeah, web applications. We talk about that today. This is, you know, one of the earliest stages of it. You know, I mean, the Mac was kind of falling behind with networking and stuff like that, but it's kind of cool to revisit the next technology and see how Tim Berners-Lee made the World Wide Web, essentially on Next technology. And this is what Apple was bringing back to the company to combine with the Mac. So ultimately, Next and Apple are merging. And this is when we get into the demos. You were already talking about those. Steve was like, okay, I wanna play five videos at the same time, drag the windows around. Again, opaque window movement. It's not like a wireframe. They were watching Space Jam. (laughs) The new Space Jam is coming out soon. So this is very timely. And um, did you notice on the side, you saw the dock. Did you notice the vertical like icons on the
1: side of the screen? Oh, Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. the whole thing yeah not that it didn't look like what it looks oh, like yeah, on totally. modern max but yes all of those elements were there. I yeah. mean it felt like um, a very modern operating system it, you know there was the stuff that gave it away you know the square movie frames and <laughs> the really low resolution but uh, yeah it felt super super modern everything running in the background like that. Yeah.
0: And that dock was a pretty big deal later because, like, not only was it in the Mac, but you have the dock on the iPhone and on the iPad. It was a pretty nice user interface element. I, I use it
1: hundreds of times a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess when I think about that, the old Mac that we had growing up, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just interacting with the Finder bar and what yeah. you have on your desktop. The the Pretty uh, much. There was
0: like a little app switcher in like the upper right corner, if anybody even knew that was really there, but like that was like it. And Windows had the taskbar, which was like the awesome feature. You can click and switch your apps. That was something the Mac didn't have.
1: Yeah, I guess we take that for granted now. We totally
0: do. So then he goes into this awesome demo using Interface Builder, which was a name that carried through to the Mac developer environment for years. I don't think they use that name anymore because it's all built into Xcode, but it's exactly what it sounds like. You want to build the interface for your application. This is where you do it. And he shows it by literally connecting objects together. He'll have like a slider and he'll drag a line from it to a number field. And you you can drag the slider and the numbers pop up and it works at runtime there's no compiling there's no code that actually has to be compiled so it just works at runtime and i particularly love this line that he pulled out like 24 minutes into it i just want to play that quick here these objects are just communicating at runtime no code's been generated there's no code to maintain what we found a long time ago was the line of code that a developer can write the fastest the line of code that a developer can maintain the cheapest and the line of code that never breaks for the user is the line of code the developer never had to write So. Oh, there's Gil popping up again in the video (laughs) right next to him clapping into his microphone. (laughs)
1: Anyway. (laughs) Oh, Gil. Comic relief for (laughs) this. Uh, you know uh, that that's uh, that's that's interesting. The line of code that uh, you mm-hmm. know the best line of code is the one you don't have to write. I think he says that in the one we're going to cover in the next episode too. Yeah. over and over again. And I mean, isn't that doesn't that carry through to today? With like, I mean, I'm not a programmer at all, but from the demos I've watched of like the Swift programming language, mm-hmm. I mean, that is all about minimal amount of code.
0: It totally is, and he does mention that a bunch in the next episode. We'll talk about as well. And ultimately we talk about this modern OS and object oriented programming, all this stuff, but what's the goal, the technical goal of it? It's eliminate 80% of the code. Let the developers focus their energy on the 20% unique parts of the code that are going to make their app awesome. It's reducing that redundancy and reducing that complexity.
1: And I think the thing that you get from Steve here and what he's doing is this is like, you can tell he's passionate about bringing this to life, but the goal is, is that he wants to make the machine, give the toolbox to the devs, the toolkit to the Mm -hmm. devs, that allow them to more easily make the thing. He's making it frictionless for them to be able to develop Mm -hmm. which then in turn through everything makes it frictionless for the the user. you know the user. Yeah. So it's, it's kind a of nice it's a it's a it's a way that the trickle down stuff trickle is down, working yeah. now. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's the thing, like Steve said this too, um not sure what year he said it in, but like you only use what you understand. Developers are pretty smart people usually, but like, you know, that goes to them too. Like, you know, especially if you're a new programmer, like if I was new, jumping into this, like would I want to choose the one that requires me to write five times as much code or the one that doesn't require me to write five times as much code. I'm gonna use the easier one. And um, yeah, like you said, it affects the user too. If the developer can make an app easier and make a better app, the user has a better experience too. Or, you
1: know, even if it's that they, it gives them more time to make more apps. Think about it, like how many ideas you have. Like what if someone's just, uh, they got apps out the wazoo, they're passionate about the format and mm -hmm. they get out there and they can just do it. That's
0: exactly it. It's like, you can either
1: save time on one app or use the same amount of time and make multiple apps.
0: You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. I mean, you see that these days with like uh, the cryptocurrency stuff, one developer will come out with multiple tokens, applica- I don't really get how all that works either. I don't either. <laughs> something going on there where if in the context of this, it allows you to either, yeah, focus on just what you're good at or get a lot of ideas out there. Right.
0: So, Steve does that cool demo, he exits the stage and then
1: Gil comes back on stage.
0: And this is what we talked about earlier, he like
1: calls out the individual celebrities who- Well, and he seems tripped up here. I mean, uh, to me, he was visibly way more nervous here. If I had to follow Steve Jobs, I would be terrified.
0: <laughs> like, can you follow Steve Jobs?
1: <laughs> like, his leans get him in trouble here. I feel like there's a couple times he goes to lean and kind of loses his footing oh a little bit. Guys, you got to watch this
0: after the podcast. Just the links in the show notes. You get you just watch his posture and everything. He was so unrehearsed. Like, I'm not saying he was a bad guy. It's just, he was, during this particular presentation. Oh my gosh. So yeah, this is where he now, like, calls out the celebrities and has them stand up. Sinbad was there. Like I said, Muhammad Ali was there. Muhammad Ali looked really pen. Like he looked like he was really deep in thought. Um, I mean, I'm guessing that's just kind of what he does, but also it was awkward that he was there when he wasn't brought up on stage. Cause in the biography, Isaacson mentions he was supposed to come on and like do a demonstration of a Parkinson's website, one of his charity things, but he was never brought on stage. So it's like, did they do that on purpose or did they just not plan that? And like, maybe he was maybe a little upset. I don't know, but uh, yeah, he looked really pensive, but uh, he stood up and then sat down, and then he stood up again. He, he stood up twice, yeah. Because people were cheering for like three minutes
1: straight, but uh,
0: it's Muhammad Ali.
1: <laughs> it was great, It was. it's just such a weird shift in tone. Such a, a weird, yes! When Steve is out there, I, it, it's weird, because most of the time we're used to Steve coming out and starting the show, yeah. you know, in later years. And uh, with what's going on here, it's just, when Steve's on stage, it's, it's like, it's magnetic. It's you can perfect. tell he's, he's passionate. Yes and he's he's given a vision of the future and whatever, you're just kind of hooked. And then Gil comes out and it's like every single <laughs> corporate event you've ever been at. Probably even less rehearsed, yeah. Or maybe about the same. <laughs>
0: yeah, it was terrible, wasn't it? The shift is just terrible. So then they officially give the name of this new modern operating system. It's called Rhapsody because their plan of macOS releases was gonna be like Sonnet and Allegro, like all these like very musical things. So Rhapsody was gonna be this new modern thing, which spoiler alert, it ended up being called macOS 10. That's what they ended up doing, but it was called Rhapsody at the time. And then the finale. This wasn't a one more thing thing. This was before Steve said one more thing, but it kind of was like a one more thing type thing. I actually talked about this particular reveal in my 20th anniversary Macintosh Crazy Ken's Tech Talk episode. It's a rare Mac, not many of them sold. It was really expensive, so not many of them exist. And it was revealed, massive air quotes on revealed at this,
1: Kino. you want to talk about uncomfortable it well, was hard to watch it's very hard to watch if we're gonna before we get into how bad that is i will say when they brought uh, Jobs, Wozniak yeah oh so, yeah Steve uh, Wozniak yeah. Woz gets uh, almost as much of an applause as Muhammad Ali like they don't want to stop clapping for the Woz either
0: awesome sweater by the way <laughs> you can't
1: describe <laughs> it with words
0: um yeah so Gil brings Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak back on stage and it was funny because Gil is like where are you Woz And then like Waz like pops up next to him and he was like, oh, you're supposed to be in the back.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) poorly rehearsed. It's awesome. It's all downhill from here. Oh, dude, it
0: sucks. So the idea is they reveal this 20th anniversary Macintosh, this special edition Macintosh, and they want to give the first two to the two Steves. So they bring Sajeev Chahil up, who was, I think he was an executive there. He was one of the higher ups. He comes on stage to reveal the computer and they have like this fanfare play and this big
1: turntable turns around. Oh, Steve. Oh. (laughs) Go ahead. I mean, if, I don't know if footage exists anywhere of uh, him. He, you could see how upset. Obviously, he didn't know what was going to go on. He's just standing there so, you've never seen him standing awkwardly he
0: surprises um, you you don't surprise him
1: yeah yeah he's standing like so awkward like and at one point as they're doing the reveal and the music's playing they're like are turning like yeah, a, this a giant, la- giant lazy susan like price
0: is right like, and, <laughs>
1: and steve and waz have to step out of the way
0: it's so weird jobs looks so pissed <laughs> he looks so mad he probably, I think he hated the design, but to make matters even worse, the demo crashes. It goes beep, 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 beep. Like it doesn't actually like, when he clicks the mouse, it doesn't do anything. and. Oh my gosh, dude, Jobs looks so mad. Now, when I did my episode about this, my friend Al, uh, he knows Woz, he actually reached out to Woz. Okay, actually rewinding a little bit. The backstory is backstage, one of these computers ended up in a dumpster. So someone, Woz or Jobs, threw it out. Now that's an urban legend. I have no confirmation of that, but, My buddy Al messaged Woz, he emailed him, and Woz replied saying something along the lines of, he actually liked the computer. He bought them for some classrooms. Uh, So Woz probably was okay with it, and I think it still looks really cool, but Jobs had this idea of this new product strategy, which we'll talk about in the future episode, and he sees this brand
1: new thing and he's like, dude, this doesn't line up with what we need to do. We're just gonna trash it, and he did later. Yeah, he is obviously pissed because, yeah. I mean, I believe the reveal happens and then, you know, they cut back to Gil and Waz yep. is still there and Steve is stormed off dude, the stage. he's like, so. yeah, he's like standing back a little bit. It's just... <sighs> I felt for
0: the man. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, this makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Someone with Steve's perfectionism is probably making him burn up inside
1: i can definitely imagine that the phrase that will never happen again you know was oh said. yeah there was probably
0: an after action report to put it lightly so that event ended on that kooky glitchy bad note but as steve jobs would like to say there is one more thing that we're going to talk about tonight So a little bit later, it was like maybe September, it was like later in 1997, Apple hosted like a 14 minute press event. It wasn't that long. It was at the town hall auditorium at the one, actually I think that's technically at six infinite loop. It's at the campus. And this is where they reveal the Think Different campaign, the Think Different words. Like those are pretty famous now, but like this is when it was first announced to the press at this event late in 1997, at this really short press event. And I've actually never seen this tape before. I didn't even know this existed. Researching it for the podcast is the first time I saw this tape. Jobs goes in there with sandals and shorts, you know, kind of reverting back to his older ways maybe. Or his yeah, race. I I, don't know.
1: I like the vibe.
0: It's a good vibe, yeah. I'm chill with it. He's there in shorts. Um, he sounds kind of tired, but he does say right at the beginning, he's like, Whew, we were up until three in the morning last night working on this. So he is uh, kind of tired. So Steve at this time has been back at Apple for about eight to ten weeks. So he's still kind of getting his feet wet, but they're moving pretty quick. They already have this huge campaign going on. Think different was pretty a pretty big deal. So he's like, we just got to get back to the basics. We got to make great products. We have to have great marketing and great distribution. And we were talking about earlier with like the 20th anniversary Macintosh, how he threw that out. That was part of his, um, we'll say, necessary sacrifices. He literally killed 70% of the product line. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, the 80-20 rule, you know? Mm. 20% of your effort can make 80% of your return if you focus on the right things. And I believe that's what was happening here, almost to the number, 70%. Um, you know, McDonald's did a similar thing too before they started taking off. They had a lot of stuff on the menu. They shrunk it down to soft drinks, fries, and burgers. You know, they knew what to focus on.
1: Yeah. What was, I mean, wasn't it at some point, uh, right here where they only had like six products or something like yeah, that? Yeah.
0: They later, they announced their product strategy was just just like a, it's like a two by two matrix. You know, they'll have a portable and a desktop for the consumer and for the professional. And then they expanded it a little bit to like a two by three or whatever. But yeah, they just made it a super simple grid because at this point there's like a ton of different model numbers. There's the Newton, there's the Tam. He was like, what, what is this? So shrink it down by 70%, just focus on what we need to focus on. And he talks about how marketing is about values. It's not about MIPS and megahertz. And this part, oh my gosh, the got milk part. He's like, when the milk industry tried to advertise how good milk was for you, it's a lie, but they tried. Is what he said. Uh, like sales weren't doing so well, and then the "Got Milk" campaign came out, and sales went up. And he jokes saying, "That's not even about milk. Actually, it's about the absence of milk. <laughs> got milk? But it's about values. It's not about like the hard facts or the the science behind milk or the speed of a processor and stuff like that. It's well, it's about the values."
1: Interesting thing that ties back into the mm-hmm. the, the, the "Got Milk" thing and Apple yeah. in 1984 is that they got Ridley Scott to do the 1984 commercial mm-hmm. well that gotten milk ad those that first spot and he might have done others of them was directed by michael bay who you oh know, crap i didn't know that yeah, went <laughs> okay. on to become uh, pretty big himself so it just kind of shows like the like there is power in building strong imagery and mythology imagery, essentially yeah. behind your Product. It's more of about a feeling, an aspiration, or anything Mm -hmm. than it is the product itself.
0: Absolutely, and we don't say that lightly. That's really, really, really hard to do. That's why a lot of smaller companies will use more direct response marketing strategies than building this big brand image. But Apple was—they had money and resources to be able to do this, and it was necessary to get them healthy again. And another example he brought up: Steve Jobs loved Nike. He was like, you know, they sell shoes. They sell shoes. But like when you. Think of Nike or you see a commercial, like you see the athletes. You don't see a, hey, new Nike shoe has 20% more shoe power than Reebok. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't do that. They show the athletes. Tons of people would love that. Like, come on, it works. They want to aspire to be a good athlete. That's so many people's dreams, you know, it works. And I thought it was funny where he does say, you know, Apple spends a fortune on advertising. You would never know it. <laughs> <laughs> So shy at day, the advertising agency that worked on 1984, Jobs gets back with them to focus on the right core values. People can change the world for the better. And that's where this Think Different campaign came out of. It's kind of cool to think like the same brains behind that 1984 ad is this Think Different campaign. So then he rolls the video. In this particular taping that I watched, the video wasn't in there. I don't know if it was a copyright issue, but like there was a lot of famous
1: people in there. Well, it's a great spot. It's, if you haven't seen yes. it, you really should. Yeah, you can and look it And what's interesting is we're, ta- I really just thought of this now is the campaign, the idea of Think Different and what the ad is saying is really the same thing as the 1984 ad. The 1984 ad is saying, don't listen, think different than what, you know, Big Brother here yeah, is telling you. more
0: dystopian-like, but yeah, absolutely. And, and it
1: kind of fits with this evolution of that's what the Steve Jobs, you know, pre-getting fired from Apple, <laughs> all of that, that's, you know, he's big and bold and sticking it to the man. And this was a, just a different, it's, it's more subtle and thoughtful and like... Um, humble in a way. Yeah,
0: I totally think it's more humble. Absolutely. And those think different words went on to be really famous. And the common thing between the two is none of them show a single Apple product. Yeah. Mm. Because they focus on values. They don't focus on the product. And I thought it was interesting. Like, well, it, it, they planned it to release in September 1997, I believe was the month. They were going to do two 60 second spots with the network TV premiere of Toy Story. So I'm sure there were gonna be a ton of people watching that. They had billboards, magazines, big paintings on buildings. They had all that planned. But the other interesting thing was there was a lot of famous people in this ad. And what Jobs claimed anyway was a lot of those people or you know, the representatives or agents or whatever would normally not wanna be in an ad. But I guess, I don't know if he was really persuasive or if those people thought you know, they really liked what Apple stood for. Maybe he was persuasive enough. It's a testament to show that those guys believed in Apple enough to let them use those people's images. Hitchcock, Edison, Einstein, Muhammad Ali, Gandhi. They were all in this thing different campaign.
1: Well if anyone could convince them, I it was would gonna say Steve he, Jobs. I was
0: gonna say he has that power. Let's be honest. And again, this was a time where Apple was near insolvency. And I thought it was really nice at the end that Steve Jobs said, this company absolutely is going to turn around. Well, it worked. I mean, look at them now. They're ginormous. They're a huge iconic brand with a valuation of over $2 trillion. So it clearly worked. He knew what he was doing.
1: I like the vibe of what where this is going to start and going into the the next episode. But mm-hmm. I really like the vibe that's going on with Steve Jobs here. Which yeah. is, it's different because the last one with Gil... That, you could tell he was gritting his teeth, you know, throughout it. And he he was back and you didn't know what was happening. And this is him. I mean, in this one, he's in freaking shorts. <laughs> he, well, yeah, yeah, he's dressed up. He's got like a coat, like a like a business coat on, and, like a full suit or whatever. He's got
0: sandals and shorts. <laughs>
1: but the, this one and the next one is this vibe of like... Uh, he's got patches on his he, jeans. He's kind this. of self-deprecating. He's, sure, sure. He's, he's, uh, he's like, well, I don't know. No one cares about what I think anyway. Um, it's 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 kind of a fun interesting and he's very real he's he's, yeah, he's, he's talking down about what apple that's what's so appealing about this i guess he's not the ceo yet but right. so he's in a great spot where he's talking about the failures and he's talking very honestly and it's a right it's a cool era i liked it absolutely so
0: pretty crazy story going on here Apple is hemorrhaging money. They need a new operating system. They need Steve Jobs back. They bring him back. He sets the mission straight. He plans this new operating system, launches this Think Different campaign. Team effort, of course. And we're just getting started. There's more to come with this. Next time, we're actually rewinding a little bit. I kind of felt it worked better to present these events in this particular order but we're actually rewinding a little bit for the next episode. We're going to Worldwide Developer Conference 1997 where, you know, nowadays Apple will like present new products and do all this stuff. What did Steve do? He literally did like a 50-minute Q&A with the whole audience just like sitting on a stool with like patched jeans. Like it was really down to earth and like you said he was being honest, he was talking about the failures. He was like, "Hey, Uh, we're gonna get Apple healthy again, and you probably have questions about Apple's future, so I'm here to answer your questions, and we're gonna dig through that stuff in the next episode of Apple Kino Chronicles. So, for those who are new here, I appreciate you guys coming along. Definitely subscribe and follow, because we have a lot more cool stuff coming, and leave a rating if you like the show. Hopefully, if you've listened this far in, you're willing to leave a nice rating, five stars if you want, but hey, you know what? I can't make you if you don't like it. You absolutely don't have to leave a rating. And I want to thank Brad for joining us again. Brad has helped us out on a couple of YouTube episodes on Crazy Ken with the iPhone 12 when it was new. He helped film that stuff. And you were also on an episode of my other podcast, No Cameras Allowed, we were talking about Quibi. Dropping the quibs. Dropping the quibs. So yeah, he's been around a little bit before but now we're taking on this more ambitious goal. So Brad, where can everybody else find you?
1: On the webs? Um, I'm not too active on the webs, but you can find me at Brad Tastical on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Clubhouse.
0: Perfect. Oh, yeah, Club- that's right. We're on Clubhouse now. Yeah, that's a thing that's going on, and everybody wants to copy it. <laughs> Brad Tastical, that's perfect. We got Crazy Ken and Brad Tastical. If you were a surfer, it'd be like bradical, like like bradical. (laughs) So guys, thanks for listening so much. Subscribe and stay tuned because we got more cool stuff coming. We are just getting started. And again, thank you Linode for sponsoring us and making this show possible. And guys, remember, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. So if you need to get that cloud stuff taken care of, Linode has got you covered. We'll give you a hundred dollars free credit. Go ahead and click that link in the show notes. And hey, if you have a friend that's also a Steve Jobs or Apple fan, definitely share Apple Keynote Chronicles with them. I'm sure they will love it. And again, you can, also watch these keynotes we talk about. We have the links in the show notes as well. So we'll see you on episode three again, every other Monday morning to make your Monday a fun day, we come out. So stay tuned for that. But until then, catch the crazy and pass it on.